Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanek with Figured Out Baseball. Got a great Figured Out Baseball podcast for you today. We're being joined by Robin Lund. He's the pitching coach at the University of Iowa, of course, in the Big Ten. Um, very excited to get into this one. He's got such an interesting background, um, and, and he's gone through a lot of stuff that I'm really excited to talk to him about. I'll give you a background on Coach Lund before we jump into questions with him. He's originally from Peace River, Alberta, Canada. He graduated from Whitworth College in 1995 at an NAIA school in Spokane, Washington. He's got his master's degree from Eastern Washington, graduated there in 1997. In 19, uh, I'm sorry, from 2000, I'm sorry, from 1996 until 2000, he was an assistant coach at Spokane Falls Community College in Washington. In 1998, he spent one summer as a strength and conditioning coach for the Spokane Indians, a minor league team at that time. Then, in uh, going by springs here, from spring of 2000 to 2001, he was a strength and conditioning coach at Lewis and Clark State, uh, a very well-known NAIA program in Idaho. Uh, he got his Ph.D. in exercise science from the Univers University of Idaho in 2002. He became then a tenured professor in kinesiology at the University of Northern Iowa, where he remained a professor from 2000 until 2018. Now, during that time, he spent the springs of 2005 and 6 as a strength and conditioning coach at UNI for Coach Rick Heller, who is now the head coach at the University of Iowa. So he was the strength and conditioning coach for the baseball team there, uh, Division I school in Iowa, before, they, before UNI dropped their program. Uh, and then in 2018, he got involved again in, in, uh, in softball. He was the volunteer hitting coach at the University of Northern Iowa softball team. Then in January 2019, he was hired at the University of Iowa. Now, get this, he was originally hired at Iowa as a hitting coach. His 2019 team, his, his first spring at Iowa, won 31 games. It was a sixth straight year with 30-plus wins at Iowa. Uh, the team went 10-3 and against top 30 teams. Then 2020 rolls around, and the pitching coach for Iowa uh, does not come back for the spring season, so Coach Lund moved to become the pitching coach. Uh, in the first month of 2020, the, the Iowa beat three ranked teams before the season was cut short because of COVID. Uh, Coach Lund, such an interesting background and, uh, and a lot of experiences and things that, that many people don't go through in their, uh, in their careers as a coach, but I certainly appreciate you taking some time to be on the podcast with us today. I'm very excited to get into this one with you. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I, uh, usually we start with something interesting from the bio, but you've got so many things that I, it, it's hard to even pick uh, where to go with this. But I, I kind of want to start from the beginning. You obviously uh, you you were a baseball player. You've you uh, you worked as strength and conditioning coach. You were an assistant coach at a junior college for five seasons, uh, and then decided to get out of college baseball for a while. And you have found your way back in, which is something that. Uh, a lot of guys, even if they try to do it, they, they don't have success, especially at the highest level. You know, you've gone to a, a Power 5 school and you got back into coaching. I'm interested to just find out, though, from the beginning, why you decided to, uh, uh, to, to, to not pursue college coaching more than you did and sort of just take a, a role as a strength and conditioning coach, which I'm sure just, is just as uh, time-consuming, but not as much travel. I'm sure there are other things involved with it, but I'm kind of curious as to why you decided to go that route as opposed to, you know, continuing to uh, to try to coach college baseball. Yeah, I mean, for for me, it, it came down to just my wife and I. Um, when, when, when he started having kids, uh, so it, my first daughter or my first child, Abby, um, was born in '99, and I've been kicking. 
the tires on the idea of potentially getting a PhD. Um, while I was coaching at Spokane Falls Community College, I, I was the strength coach there. I was really getting in the um, the science side of, of the strength and conditioning piece. And I had a mentor, um, Dr. Scott, Scott McQuilkin, who's still at Woodward College, um, just kind of planted the bug in my ear one time, just, you know, I'd be considered a PhD, and, and I had at that point. So I, I'd been thinking about that anyway. About that time, um, as you know, uh, the mid-'90s was really when the strength and conditioning piece of, with baseball really started taking off. And so now I, I had a skill set where um, I, I knew something about strength and conditioning. I was certified. Um, was kind of blazing my own trail a little in, in that area. And um, school down the road, um, Gonzaga University, uh, Coach Steve Hertz was there. Um, we talked a little bit about, about me um, leaving Spokane and, and then joining his staff at Gonzaga. It was really, really tempting, and, and I was really considering it um, as a young coach who, who wanted to coach Division One baseball. Um, and then we also been talking about starting a family. Uh, we've been married a few years, and, and, and we really wanted to have kids. Well, right during that decision-making period, um, uh, we, my wife got pregnant with, with our first child, and so uh, something switched in my head um, where it was like, boy, I, I really want to coach her. I want to um, coach my own children, and, you know, as a young couple, uh, you know, with all the recruiting and all the traveling all the time, I mean, we got along great. I don't want to paint a picture like we, we didn't get along, but if anything ever uh, strained our relationship and, and with it, you know, in any way, it was it was just all the time I spent coaching and recruiting, and so we just, as a couple, I decided to um, transition away from baseball and start the PhD, and, and it was a wonderful job when it lasted, and, and lucky for me, I got a chance to get back in it. It's a great story, and it's something that uh, you know I just read a, a tweet today from a, a coach. Uh, a collegiate head coach who decided to get out of college coaching. I think that this time, so we're recording this during uh, the summer months, well, during early August 2020 when COVID is still sort of disrupting sports and and some colleges are, are not going to have sports this coming year, or at least in the fall. And there's just a lot of unknowns out there. And a lot of coaches are spending a lot more time at home now than they're used to. And I just read a, a tweet today from someone who decided to resign basically because he said he just sort of realized what he was missing, I guess, is, is kind of the best way I can put it. And uh, I know that, you know, coaches spend, coaches put a lot of time, more more time than most people know, into, and recruiting is not just on the road, but into recruiting. But it's it's the time you spend on the on the, on the phone. You know, kids are, now are allowed to text coaches. So it's, it's you're like tied to your phone, and there's a, there's a lot of time put into that. Um, and obviously a lot of time on the road to recruit. So, I think that it's. I think anybody that's gone through that's coached any college sport can look at what you did and and, and had a family, and, and think like, yeah, I, I get how we did that. What was that like for you to make that decision? I mean, obviously you were into the strength part of it. It's not like you didn't have a job or didn't have a fallback. But what was what was the emotion like for you at that at that time uh, to be up to give up coaching to uh, to pursue something else for your family? Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was really hard leaving the game um, and for. You know, 18 years, uh, and if you add the time that I was uh, getting my PhD, so we call it 21 years, but I wasn't coaching, I, I, I missed it terribly. And so, you know, there was a reason why I volunteered to coach, you know, all of my kids' teams all the way through, um, all three of them. I, I coached all their stuff all the way up until they were, you know, 14. Um, some summers, three. I was the head coach on three different teams sometimes. And, and then obviously the 
this, the strength and conditioning piece um, was was obviously really satisfying because it, it allows you to kind of keep your, your you know continue to interact with the elite athletes and and be a part of their growth and development. But you know nothing replaces putting a uniform on and um, going to battle. And, and I just was at a point where um, my kids are older now. Um, you know they're they're doing their own thing now. They don't need to be need me necessarily hanging around them 24-7. They're all very independent and, and well-adjusted, responsible kids, and they're doing great. And um, they were very supportive. My wife was very supportive of making this change. And like, and, and, and as I said, I mean, there's nothing replaces putting a uniform and, and going to war with um, with your team. And, uh, you know, to be honest, I even kind of missed the, the, the heartbreak, the losses. I mean, I missed it all. And so it's just that I, I can't express you know, how much I love um, coaching and, and how fun it's been, even though we got disrupted. Um, it's just a, it's just a, something that I just really, really enjoy. When you left coaching, did you do it thinking someday I'm going to get back in, or did you do it thinking like this is it for me? Like I, I've made the decision, I'm out, and and I've got to be okay with it. Yeah, I thought it was done. I mean, but you got to remember, like, so. You know, you're trying to get tenure, so there's this whole other world that opens up in academia. You're doing research, and and, and you know that that's really exciting, and, and collecting data, and publishing things, and, and going to conferences, and and I, I like I'm kind of a learner. I just I just like to learn things, and I just like to read, and I think I'm curious, and so that that part of being a professor was was really great. Um, I enjoyed that a lot. Um, as you get older uh, in academia, and as you as you um, become kind of more mature and become one of the more senior faculty, you're there's there's less of the things that you love to do, and there's you know more committee work and uh, you know search committees and and there you know maybe more governance type things that I really do not enjoy, and so uh, I, I was feeling a little bit um, frustrated with where I was at professionally on the academic side and I could just really feel the pull of coaching and, and just missing the competition. Again, my kids were getting older so I wasn't coaching them anymore. I was just watching them at that point and um, it just it, it just was calling to me and uh, I just was really fortunate that, you know, the last 18 years, 20, well, 21 years, uh, you know, the, the things I was studying, biomechanics, kinesiology, muscle physiology, statistics, and how research methods, uh, strength conditioning classes, anatomy, um, all that stuff, um, kinesiology, just was, I didn't realize, but it was kind of preparing me for kind of the new coaching positions out there where you're seeing, um, you know, nothing replaces experience. It's really important. And I'm not like a 100% new school guy that doesn't respect um, kind of the old school approach to things. I feel like I'm a bit of a hybrid that way. But, um, you know, it just it prepared me. And, you know, if, if the University of Iowa's reputation perceives itself as a school that uses tech and data and is very progressive with its, the way it develops players. And so I think my skill set um, is unique, um, spending all that time as an academic and then still also being a baseball person. And, and it was just a perfect fit for me in Iowa with, with all the stuff that they were already doing there. If you had not gotten an opportunity with Coach Heller, did you get to a point where you were ready to take like a high school job or apply for like a division three head job or something like that? Had you kind of made the decision that you were definitely getting back in somewhere or, or did this just sort of work out in a way that um, it had been on your mind, but this just kind of perfect storm allowed you to pull the trigger on something? 
well, yeah, that was the plan. I wanted to get back in the college level. That's why that's why I agreed to be the volunteer. Um, and I met you and I with Brian Jacobs with the softball team that fall. It was okay. It allowed, so I didn't have to quit my job. Um, it was essentially no risk, and I could kind of try it out. And and I was like, oh man, this is absolutely what I want to be doing after. And that was probably one of the hardest things I I had to do was was actually leave uh, Northern Iowa at the semester because. Um, you know, I got really attached to, the, to that team, uh, the softball team at, at UNI. Um, they were just a, a wonderful group of girls, and it was, just, it was an amazing coaching staff. And so leaving them was was a really, really difficult thing for me to do. Um, uh, and so I knew I, knew I wanted out. I, I didn't think it would happen that quickly. I thought it would be something that would take four or five years. You know, I had a daughter that was playing softball at Augustana. She was just a finishing up the sophomore or just finishing up her freshman year at the time. So, you know, I just figured I'd watch her play for the next three years. I, I, I still had um, a couple of boys that needed to get through high school, and I was like, you know, maybe I won't make this jump until they're all out of the house. But, you know, it happened about five years sooner than I was expecting. <laughs> and we talked right before uh, we started recording here just about your relationship with Coach Heller. But I'm interested in that as well. Coach Heller was a longtime head coach at University of Northern Iowa uh, when you were there as a professor, and obviously you were his strength and conditioning coach, but just for a couple years, it sounds like, uh, and you didn't actually coach for him, but he knew you as a strength coach. It is so curious how your relationship with him, just how, what kind of an impression you made on him to, to be his strength coach, you know, uh, 15 years earlier, or whatever it was, 14 years earlier, and then you jump in to be his hitting coach. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship with Coach Heller, who's who's known in the baseball world uh, to be someone with strong relationships with, uh, someone who doesn't forget about you once he knows you, you know, someone who just just a, a really good person in the game. Can you talk about your relationship with Coach Heller at UNI, and, and number one, what led you to want to coach with him, and number two, how in the world you talked him into uh, bringing him on as the hitting coach when you 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 hadn't uh, you hadn't even coached under him before? Because typically, you know, a lot of times uh, coaches will hire guys who they've coached with before and they feel comfortable with. But Coach Heller had not even necessarily seen you on the field before. So you mind talking about that relationship yeah. and just how it worked out that you uh, that you got to be where you are? Yeah, sure. So it, when I graduated at Northern Iowa, or sorry, when I graduated at Idaho. I had been applying all over the country, and one of the places where I landed an interview was the University of Northern Iowa. And so I, I flew out to Cedar Falls, um, interviewed, and was offered the position. Um, and I got home, and we talked about it, and we ended up accepting that job. So as soon as I accepted the job, I went online. I found out who the head baseball coach was at, at Northern Iowa, shot him a quick email, introduced myself. Just we, and, we, and we knew some, you know, how the baseball world is. Like, it's like seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Like, you can always find a connection. And... So I, I let him know that I was coming and that I just wanted to be involved. And it was my hope that I would be able to, you know, maybe collect some data with the players as I was trying to work towards tenure and, and, and try to help out in any kind of way. So so I got there. Um, we became, you know, very fast friends. I mean, if anybody knows Rick, I mean, he's just, he's a really easy person to get along with. And he's, a, he's, a, he's a really good friend. He's a really loyal guy. And, and we hit it off right away. And, um, and just re- remained really good friends even after the baseball team uh, was dropped. Uh, baseball was dropped in Northern Iowa when he went to, uh, he, he actually got a quick job at, at Creighton. People don't know that. He was actually going to go to Creighton and, 
to be an assistant coach um, under Ed Service, and I helped him move to Omaha. It was really sad, and and within uh, he was barely, I think, maybe in that house for maybe two weeks, and, and boom, he gets a job at Indiana State, and so I didn't move him to Terre Haute, but uh, Indiana State made, uh, hired the moving company to get him out there. But you know, even once a year when Rick was in, in, in Terre Haute, uh, my family, we would drive out there and visit him once once or twice a year, and, and, uh, and then when he got the job in Iowa, obviously we were really happy because we were going to get to see them more often. And so I think, you know, I think Rick knows me as, a, as that I'm a good teacher. Um, he knows that uh, and, and we've been in touch and we've talked baseball the whole time, and, and throughout the entire time that he was in Indiana State and Iowa and, and bringing on different, you know, technology and, and applying science and data and, and, and these types of things to, to baseball, I was kind of the sounding board, you know, a guy that he would administration had to sort of sign off on someone I, I i kind of assumed that it was the head coach's decision and this is the guy we want and 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 you know you got to sign here but you actually had to talk to administration and convince them yeah it's tricky right because like you've got like these mountains of of job descriptions that you've been writing for ever and it's pretty standard i mean to, to coach at a power five it's less about your education and it's more about your experience and so Rick was asking him basically to, to, to write a completely different job description. You know, like it, like not that's not the right way of saying it. it it's I didn't fit the mold of what the typical qualifications would be for a coach. If that makes sense. So it just was one of those deals where it, we just had to it, make sure everybody was understood why I was coming and, and the skill set that I had, and make sure that it would work. Now your skill set that you brought is you know a, a something that's that's obviously getting more and more popular uh in in college baseball is just you see a lot of a lot of people getting degrees in kinesiology or or at least trying to understand that side of things to understand movement and how bodies move and work um i saw a post now this was kind of scary to me just to be you know to be honest uh, I left college coaching in 2014 and felt like I was a pretty good college hitting coach. And then uh, Justin Stone, actually, who's now um, – uh, I, I don't know what his role is with the Cubs now, but he's, with the, he's in the minor league system with the Cubs. He's a director of, of something or other. You probably know who I'm talking about. Yeah, um, no, he's great. But before Justin was hired with the Cubs, he was, uh, he was training kids and starting to train pro athletes and things like that. And I saw a post from him a while back that just kind of said – almost like to be a good hitting coach or a pitching coach, you need to have, you, you basically need to understand kinesiology. And, you know, something like that is scary for me as a person who's only got a bachelor's degree in, in journalism. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I still kind of uh, 
you know, try to study things or try to try to watch things, try to learn and understand and whatever. But it's it's really becoming a, a thing in college baseball where, especially, I feel like as a pitching coach, you you do need to understand a lot of these things. Um, just let's just kind of uh, make believe for a few minutes. If you were a head coach at any level of college baseball and you were hiring someone else to be your pitching coach, would you require that person have a degree in kinesiology or, or something similar? to where they went to school to understand how to have their pitchers throw and stay healthy and be as efficient as possible. Like, do you think at this point to you with your background and your, uh, your level of education, would that be a requirement for you? Well, I don't know if it would be a requirement. Um, it's like the, you're still coaching. I mean, it's still about relationships. Um, you can know everything you need to about biomechanics, but if you can't, you can't convince or make the kid understand what it is you're trying to get them doing and, and get them to actually buy in, it really doesn't matter. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that people can get into. Like, for example, if we just look at exercise science and we, and we just unpackage that, like you've got biomechanics, right? There's this aspect of, that's called motor learning or skill acquisition. There's anatomy and physiology. There's, uh, you know, kind of what we would call the strength and conditioning piece or, or um, uh, kind of the, it's looking at like endocrine response and how the tissues respond to training and there's metabolism and, and uh, uh, there is, but then there's like things like sports psych. And then you can even, depending on what university you look at, you look at the kinesiolo- kinesiology departments, they'll even include some type of leadership component in, in, in some of these degrees. And so I don't think you necessarily have to be an expert in biomechanics to be really successful. Obviously, there's been really great pitching coaches that predate me um, before anybody was talking about biomechanics. Um, I think you just need to get really good at something, right? You need to find what your niche is and what your passion is, and then get in there and dig deep. And so we and we know there's 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 coaches that are extremely effective that maybe don't spend as much time studying the technical side of, of movement, but are just unbelievable culture guys right and, and really great with relationships and, and get kids to buy in and, and, and play really hard those guys can be really really successful so you know I don't know if I would want to pigeonhole you know that position to just somebody who's got a skill set that's similar to mine I, I think I would I would probably look for somebody who's really dynamic and a great relationship builder and then maybe at the end if if uh, it's a tiebreaker maybe that, that would be a tiebreaker what does your background in kinesiology uh, do for you? What what kind of an advantage do you think that gives you, especially to be able to flip from a hitting coach to a pitching coach? I'm sure a lot of that, uh, I, I don't know what you coach. I guess it's Spokane Falls, um, but I know that you have another background, other you know, a lot of background as a, as a hitting coach. How did, did the background in kinesiology help you to jump into being a pitching coach and just help you to really have a grasp for that side of things and then just kind of use your feel for the game? Uh, as far as um, sort of game management and game preparation and things of, of that nature. Can you just talk about how your degree in kinesiology has helped you to be prepared, you know, to be a hitting coach and then a pitching coach at Iowa? Yeah, for sure. I mean, without a doubt, I mean, it's, it, it was it was critical for me. But remember, I have been coaching for 18 years, so it, or 21 years. It, it, so for me, but whatever you have, that's what you have, and you got to rely on it, and you got to develop that skill set. So for me, you know, and having never been a pitching coach until this year, um, I understood throwing. I understand, 
you know, biomechanics, I understand, you know, I taught stats, and so I, I understand the numbers and the physics of, of all of the different things with pitch design and, 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 and all of the things that we talk about when we're developing pitchers now with data and tech and, 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 and these types of things. You know, I understand that stuff, so that's what I, that's what I fell back on, and that's what I, that's what I used, and that's what I focused on. So I'm not going to try to develop a skill set, something from scratch. I'm going to use what I have to the very best of my ability and try to make that thing work for me. So that, that's what I did. Um, and you got to remember too, like I, I, the one thing that I, I'm probably, the, the one skill set that I've developed above all of them has just been teaching, right? Um, you know, I've taught for, I have no problem getting in front of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people and, 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 and giving talks. And those, those things don't bother me at all. I don't even bat an eye anymore at that stuff. And I've, I've had a lot of practice at taking you know, difficult concepts in biomechanics and difficult concepts in motor learning and, and these and these subject areas and making them digestible, right, to, to young people. And so, um, you know, with, without, it's just something that I've developed. I've, you know, I've been recognized, I was recognized you and I as a, as a, as a pretty effective teacher through teaching evals and, and, and various awards and whatnot. And so that skill set is probably the one that was the most important to me. Like, again, I, I mentioned earlier, you can know all this stuff, but if you don't have the ability to, to get it through to the, to the, to the kids you're coaching, it, it's not really worth much. So. I think that that says a lot about Coach Heller, that he was willing to hire you, because I know just from, maybe it's changed in the last uh, six years since I left college baseball, but I know that there are a lot of coaches out there who, you know, would not have even given you the time of day, would not have even had a conversation with you because you, you lacked things on the resume that they wanted to see, even though you obviously have some things that a lot of guys out there absolutely do not have as far as your degrees, as far as your, your time in the classroom, which obviously you have really perfect, well, uh, really honed your craft at teaching, um, and getting people to understand things like biomechanics that pitchers need to understand to a point. Anyway, um, I think it says a lot about Coach Heller, and I think that it should hopefully open the eyes of other head coaches out there as far as just hearing people out, you know, that, that have a, maybe a different background. Like you said, they have a very specific skill set that's that's developed, and, and there are ways to, uh, to translate things you've done outside of baseball to the baseball field, assuming that someone has a baseball background, which you do. Um, I just think it's, it's all really interesting to me. And I think it, it does, it says a lot about who coach Heller is and uh, as a person and just how open minded he is. And uh, the fact that you guys had a, had a, a history and knew each other is one thing, but I mean, he's not at a high school here. He's at a major division one school that has got a win or he's going to be out of a job. So obviously it was more than just a friendship there. He obviously, you know, thought that you could take what you have been doing for the last 18 years, 21 years, and translate it to success on the baseball field. Um, how, did the, how did the players react to you when you got there? Um, I know that you know that players have social media, and you know that players you know, have Google, and, and they can figure out who you are and what your background is. Um, how did the players react to you being hired when you first got to Iowa? They were great. Um, it was it was really hard because I got there in January, and so there was already an entire system was put in place. Like so, this the ship had sailed. Like I, I wasn't when I first got 
out there. My job wasn't necessarily to, to be, uh, it's hard to explain this. Like, I, I'm not there to, like, I'm not there to save anything. Like, the ship has sailed. This team's are good. This team's going to win games. This, these kids are going to hit because a really good system was put in place in the fall. So my main job was to just to get to know everybody, build relationships, and try to figure out where in the system, which is a great opportunity for me. I mean, it was perfect for me because, I mean, like I said earlier, I like to learn. And so, um, you know, getting into some areas that I wasn't as familiar with, um, you know, pitch recognition and some of the vision stuff that we do at Iowa is really progressive and really advanced. And these are some things that I, I didn't know much about. So for me, it was a lot of it was a lot of listening and a lot of learning and, and just building relationships with the kids. And, and we, we have we have awesome kids at Iowa. They were very accepting. Um, I was more nervous actually when I was named the pitching coach because I was I was uh, accounting right. Um, the fifth pitching coach in as many years. So some of those some of those kids, it's like every year they've had a different pitching coach, and then now it's like, you know, they they, they give the job to Rob, and he's never been a pitching coach. Like, what the heck is going on? And so I was <laughs> I was really really nervous um, about that. Um, but it really did it caused some anxiety for me. Um, and uh, I reached out right away to our captain, Grant Leonard. Um, and Grant Judkins, two Grants, um, called him in, and they couldn't have been nicer. Like they were, they were very happy. All the kids were texting me, like on their own. They were just shooting me texts about how excited they were um, that, that I was going to be working with them. And, and as soon as I had that, uh, then I just went to work, and it was easy. Um, had I not had that, you know, I think I would have been fine. But it would have been, it would have been, it would have been a lot more nerve wracking, and it would have been miserable, to be honest. But so the kids, the kids made it easy on me for sure. Can you recall that initial conversation with Coach Heller? Um, how did it even come up that it was a possibility for you to do that? Yeah, when I took the job, um, we had talked about me being the pitching coach and not hitting, and I just was like, you know, boy, I'm not comfortable with, with pitching someday. Potentially I'd be comfortable with pitching, but, I mean, the season starting in a month. I've never been a pitching coach, and I think that's a tall order. And so... Um, we were really fortunate that, that Tom Gorzolani agreed to join the staff as well because there, there were actually two coaches that left at the same time. There's Desi Jerschel and Joe Migliaccio both left um, to, to, uh, to work with the Yankees, the New York Yankees. And so um, with, with Tom agreeing to come on and, and just get us through the, the spring, he did a great job and the guys loved him. And, and, and we, you, know, we, you kind of talked about the season that we had. We had a pretty good season. Um, we were in the top 25 right up until the, the last week of the regular season. And uh, and so we, we kind of rolled the dice, and, you know, we thought maybe that the third assistant would get passed. And if that was the case and Tom decided not to come back, that there would be a third assistant, that we would use that line to hire another pitching coach. But we all knew that, you know, if Tom doesn't come back and that, and that uh, rule doesn't pass and we don't have a third assistant, that I would then – become the pitching coach and I was like well that gives me time to to learn this thing and, and, and to be able to figure it out and that's that's exactly what happened and, and I'll be honest I, I actually love the pitching side of things like I really love it so it's been great that's really cool I, I've thought as a with you know hitting being my background that being a pitching coach is there's a you know of course there's there are unknowns on my side of it but I always thought it was just uh, a little more of a of a mystery 
<laughs> than hitting. Yeah. And maybe just because of my background in hitting, but I, as a, just as a baseball fan in general, I'm a big Pirates fan, as people know that have listened to my podcast before. I'm a big Pittsburgh Pirates fan. And, like, you'll just watch one game where, you know, a pitcher will deal and you watch another game where he gets hit around and, and to the naked eye, like, you don't – it looks like he's hitting his spots – pretty similarly or you know a guy will go through a stretch of five games or whatever where he just gets hit around and and uh, of course you have uh some tools at your disposal that and those coaches have tools at their disposal that as the viewer you don't have but it's hard sometimes with the naked eye to see like what changed <laughs> and i always thought look i'm glad i'm not the one that has to figure that out because the stuff still looks good it looks like it looks like he's locating okay but that fastball at the top of the zone that usually gets swings and misses is now getting barreled and getting hit over the fence and like boy i'm glad i'm not the one that has to fix that you know, and that's, it's always, it's been easier for me. And again, maybe my eyes just trained more for hitters, but it's always easier for me to like see, you know, a hitters in a funk for five games. And, and I can usually kind of see something that I think he's probably doing. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it says a lot, I think about you as well, to be able to jump in that position and, and you're with your background to be able to be comfortable and not only be comfortable, but really enjoy it and, and really thrive there. Yeah. I mean, I know what I know. I'm, I, I know where my strengths are, and, and I, 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 that's that's what I rely on. Um, and it's funny, like you know, I read a lot. I read a lot of stuff, and, and I read a lot of. I do read a lot of science, you know, a lot of journal articles and textbook type things because you know I, I always feel like I can get better in that area. And it, it's again, it's my strength. And so I, I never want to ignore my strength. I want to continue to develop that skill set. But I don't seek out necessarily other you know, other tech or research-related pitching people. That's not who I really want to spend my time talking to. I want to talk to the guys that have been doing it and have been successful for, like, 20 years. And the, the conversations that I like to have with pitching coaches are, are about things that I can't get through science. It's just, like, experience things. Like, I, I want to hear anecdotes. I want to hear, you know, just little things about pitch grips or little little cues or some funny thing that you did in the bullpen with a guy you know, that, that allowed him to, you know, figure something out. I, that's the stuff I'm looking for is is that knowledge that comes from. Like, again, the tech's important, but you can't underestimate how close we got with over 100 years of just trial and error, right? I mean, if you think about the system, it's, it's a meritocracy that when you win, you get rewarded. When people win, you watch what that guy does. And so everybody's doing something a little bit differently. The coach who wins every year, we kind of look, well, what's that guy doing? He goes to a convention, he talks about it. Somebody runs with his idea, they improve on it a little bit. They win even more with it. So baseball was in a pretty good place. I mean, we had a lot of things figured out just by, just through using, you know, trial and error over, over 100 years. And I think the tech stuff has accelerated it. But I never, ever um, uh, underestimate the value of experience and, and some of that old school baseball stuff that you get from those old coaches that have been coaching for years. I mean, there's a reason why they coached for that long and were successful, and I think it's important to listen to them. Now, you coached your kids, and I'm sure coaching um, coaching them, especially when they're young, you're not necessarily bringing your uh, kinesiology degree into the Little League dugout. Um, did that experience and maybe this is a strange question, but did that experience in any way coaching your kids and other young kids where you've really got to to simplify, to to establish basics, did that have any impact on you once you got back into college baseball? I mean, I know it's a strange, strange question, but you, you coached college baseball, you took quite a bit of time off, and now you're coaching at a very high level. Did that experience coaching your kids do anything for you to help you uh, uh, to, to get back on the field and, and coach and develop the relationships and things of that nature? Well, for 
sure. I mean, like, so with little kids, with little ones, I mean, they're going to get better as long as they continue playing. And so it's all about the relationships. It has to be, it, it has to be an enjoyable experience. And, you know, and I was, you know, I was typical mid-90s, you know, red-ass coach when I was coaching at Spokane Falls Community College. I mean, I was just an angry little guy and always fired up and, and yelling and stuff and, and coaching my own children and coaching little kids obviously really softened softened my, my touch with athletes and um, and you got to remember my background too in, in physical education and pedagogy I mean that's the, the science pedagogy is the science of coaching you know when we look at motor learning and skill acquisition and pedagogy um, you know I have a background in that so using those principles with little kids good coaching is good coaching is good coaching whether they're little or, or they're older and a lot of the things and a lot of the strategies I use just in terms of getting somebody to move a certain way are no different than if I was working with a with a ten year old or, or a twenty one year old. Um, so yeah, no, that I, I think it was important that I coached my kids because it allowed me to continue to develop, you know, that that, that skill set, the ability to to, uh, to to pass that information along. Again, to, to really young kids, you really you really got to simplify things, right? Um, and so yeah, I think it helped me. I think it helped me a lot. You've got to be careful with those big words with the little kids around you. That's one thing that I think um, guys that have the science background, the, the guys that are really successful on the field are the ones that can dumb it down for the people like me who don't have the science background. And if you can make those people understand uh, and give me a good, clear picture by using everyday language and terminology that I'm used to without trying to talk over my head, without trying to you know, let me see in, in one sentence, like, oh, this guy must have a doctorate because he's using words I've never heard before. Like, I think that's that's a legitimate skill, and uh, I'm sure that coaching the little ones helped with that. Um, if we can talk about youth baseball just for a few minutes, and this is a little bit switching gears from what we were talking about, but there are there's a lot happening in youth baseball right now. Um Kids playing too many games, kids playing all year round, you know, pitch counts at high levels are, are a big thing that I don't know that uh, that a lot of youth coaches necessarily have a great outline or a great answer to. Uh, is there anything in youth sports today, I know your kids aren't there anymore, but I'm sure you at least hear some grumblings or, or, or know people that still play at youth levels or at least see things on social media or whatever it may be. Uh, is there anything today in youth baseball that, that really concerns you more than anything else? Um, you know, obviously kids are, are getting hurt. Um, and not just like, you know, we all had sore arms when we played. Um, you know, we'd get sore arms too. Um, but like kids are having, you know, surgery, it seems, at, at relatively young ages. And I think the, the pitch count rules that are being put in, I think are a good start. Um, but it, it's kind of... Um, it, it might be a little oversimplifying things a little bit. Um, you know, having said that, you're trying to also execute this, whatever it is that you come up with that you're going to try to reduce injuries. You know, this thing has to be um, executed nationwide. And so that becomes really difficult if, it, if it's a complicated thing. So I understand why you go to pitch count, right? That's an easy thing, I think, to enforce and, and to get people to understand. But, you know, it, every little kids are all they're all different and some kids can tolerate more throwing more so than others and and, and you have to look at the efficiency of the of the, the throwing mechanics as well i mean somebody with 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 some problems with their arm 
you get injured if there's an improper ramp up. Um, whereas somebody who has a really efficient arm um, and really efficient arm action and a low, low stress arm action um, can probably get away with throwing more pitches and then maybe not being ramped up appropriately. And so I think just getting that that education out there. The problem the problem here is there isn't any type of national coaching program like and I'm not saying you know some of these other countries have the answers but like in Canada for example um, there's a there, there are like level one through five coaching uh, certifications you get um, in all the sports so if you wanted to coach baseball um, you need to get your level one and then as you as you climb and if you want to coach older and older kids and, and at a higher and higher level you have to continue to get these um, these certifications, and so you know, we don't really require anything of anybody um, from our coaching standpoint. And you know, that's a slippery slope. I'm not saying because you know that that that's gonna that's gonna create other problems. Um, but you know, people just need to understand that when you're when you're coaching young boys, that when you're building them up, and you ask him to throw 80 pitches in a, in a baseball game when he's never thrown 80 pitches before. You know, you can't do that. Um, and so, and, and it's not that people have bad intentions. They just, they just don't know. So a lot of it is just the throwing volume and not ramping kids up properly, you know, building things up. And again, it's hard. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, blame those little league coaches out there and bust their hearts to volunteering. Um, we need more people to volunteer, but, um, there's just some, if, if there's some, there's some pretty simple concepts that if those, if those things can just get communicated to those coaches. You know, I believe most of them have, you know, good intent and don't want to hurt kids. Um, I would say all of them don't want to hurt kids. And so a little bit of knowledge, I think, could really help them out. You talk about ramping up. Can you talk, uh, can you, can you explain to people that are listening what that means and why that's maybe more important than even just a hard pitch count number? As, as far as preventing yeah, so, injuries. Yeah, so like if, if we look at some of the workload management research and, 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 and full disclosure, some of this workload management research is, is coming under fire. It's relatively it's a relatively young area um, of study um, and it's not perfect. And, and there's, some, there's some critique in there and some of it's well-deserved, some of it's not, but you know, that, that's for another podcast. But the, the idea is that we look at what you've been doing, say, your average workload, and let's just define workload as the number of throws that you've made in, in a day. Um, and let's just say that over the last month, on average, you're making you know 30 throws per day. Um, if that's true, then this upcoming week, I don't want to do, um, I don't want to do significantly more work that week than what I've been accustomed to, say, the previous four weeks. So there's this idea of what we call chronic workload, which is what have you been doing the last month? And then an acute workload, which is what are you doing this week? And you don't want the work that you're doing this week to be 1.3, this is a number, this is where things get, the, the critique is. Um, but generally speaking, um, the, the research says that we don't want to do 1.3 times the amount of work this week that we're accustomed to doing the previous four weeks. And so, you know, if you just start arbitrarily at, say, throwing, say, throwing 15 pitch bullpen, um, you know, 1.3 times that is about, you know, is, a, is another, you know, maybe three, three, three pitches, maybe four pitches. And so you're just building things up 
each week um, slowly over time. And so, it's, you know, and it kind of gets tough in rec ball with, with little kids when they show up and then you're playing in a week, right? You only have, I'm talking more like the high school season, right, where, where, where you have a little bit of time to, to build them up. And so you just basically make the plan. I, I want my, my, my opening day kid to be able to throw, say, 70 pitches on his first start. That means the week before, when his pad or his live set getting ready to go, he needs to have thrown 70 pitches. And maybe the week before that, it was, you know, 60 pitches. The week before that, it was 50, then 40, then 30. And maybe we started at 10 or 15. But you just build them up each week so that that the tissues have a chance to adapt and the, the entire body, the, the systems have a chance to adapt. And so when you put this stress on them, um, the chances of having a breakdown or some type of injury are much are much smaller. Well, I feel like there are about 10 ways we can go from this. Uh, and I know we're kind of pressed on time here, but I'll try to maybe ask one or two more questions if that's okay with you. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, are more injuries caused at youth levels by by that kind of what you were just talking about? An arm is not prepared to throw X number of pitches, um, but a, but a person throws a lot of pitches on one particular day, and and on that day, maybe you maybe he doesn't get surgery for a while, but on that day, like that's when the damage was done, or is more damage done by not having enough rest between? Yeah. Times when when guys throw uh, higher numbers of pitches. I think there's uh, they're both those are both problematic. So I think you've got three things. You've got the actual arm itself, the path of the arm. There are certain uh, movement patterns within within the actual throwing motion that I think predispose you to, to injuries. Um, and that's yeah, that's, that's a whole other area. There's some really good um, there's some really good information out there. 108. Uh, performance and, and the, the Texas Baseball Ranch Driveline. There's a lot of resources out there that can help people understand, you know, what the arm pass should look like. So you've got that thing. And then there's the workload management, um, you know, doing not doing more than what you're accustomed to. You can do more than what you're accustomed to, but it's just got to be a reasonable amount and it's got to be built up over time. And then the third one, yeah, fatigue. Fatigue can, can be a, a big problem. That can be an acute um, cause of cause of injury. Even if somebody is, is fit and and uh, they built up properly, um, if, if, you know, not having enough rest or you know having them be too much, you can see how the workload management and the and the fatigue thing can kind of blend into one another, right? Um, but you know, having adequate rest between starts is also you know also very important because a lot of these kids play positions too, right? So you got to take into consideration all of the throwing they're doing when they're playing a position. And you, do you have two-way players at University of Iowa? Yeah, we do. We have, um, on the team right now, we have uh, two of them. Trent Wallace, he plays outfield, and uh, he's a left-handed, uh, left-handed pitcher. He'll be, he'll be battling for uh, a starting role this year. He was, he was really good this spring. And then um, we have a, a middle infielder, Dylan Nedbet, who is more of a back-end guy. Um, but, yeah, we have, we have two of them on the team this year. How much differently do you have to treat them day-to-day with their workload because of all the throws they make uh, from the field, or are they making most of their throws on the mound? And then, like on defensive drills, are they just working on glove work without making a lot of throws to save their bullets for the mound? How do you? Uh, I know yeah. this might be a loaded question to kind of end end things on, but yeah, how do you uh, manage uh, workload with those guys? Sure. So Trenton uh, is the the big left-hander who plays in the outfield and so he does all of and he, he wants to be a starter so 
all of his throwing, his entire throwing program is dictated on the pitching side. So he does everything that all of the other pitchers do. And then when he runs out in the outfield and he does his drills, he um, doesn't throw hardly, like very much at all. Like he, he'll just go through the motions, put the ball in the bucket. But he, you know, he'll make some throws. He needs to make some throws. But by far, the, the majority of his throwing volume is dictated on the pitching side. And then uh, Dylan Nedbed, who's a, a, a more a back end guy, um, he just—it's the opposite for him. He does all of his throwing is dictated on the position player side with Coach Heller um, and, the, and the rest of the infielders. And then I just grab him once a week, and he throws a pen, and we just keep him on the mound um, and just try to keep him sharp. So he is what he is. Where um, we don't expect, you know, to see like a, a big change of a slider, for example, or his change, his change up's already really filthy. Um, you know, we don't expect a big velo jump from him, like it potentially could happen, but we don't expect one from him like we would say that the guys that are on the on the throwing program. That's so cool. And there's um there's so much there to unpack, and, and I, I wish we had time to get into it. Maybe we can have you back on another one. But this is uh, Robin Lund, everybody. He's the pitching coach at the University of Iowa. Uh, this has been great. It's been it's a, it's been it's been really enjoyable, but also so informative. Uh, there's so much that you have to offer, and, and to the figured out baseball community, I hope that you will uh, you know hope that you are writing things down, <laughs> taking some notes from Coach Lund, a really smart guy, a lifelong learner. I, I just I really respect guys that have. Uh, that have been in the game for a while or has been around for a while that, and that want to continue to learn and, and see what else is out there and, and just try to be the best they can. And, and, and I believe you're someone who really maximizes um, your abilities and, and knows what your strengths and weaknesses are, and that, you know, that I respect very much as well. Coach Lund, this has been great. Thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time to be on a podcast with us today. Absolutely. Thank you, Jeff. It was great. I appreciate it. I'd be uh, happy to come on again.